Master Plumbers Radio, bringing you all the stuff you won't learn in trade school. G'day everyone, today my guest is Scott Pape. Some of you may know him as the Barefoot Investor. Scott has been voted Australia's most trusted finance expert, mainly due to his fiercely independent advice and his ability to communicate complex financial concepts and information into terms everyone can understand. He's been the money guy for Channel 7 and Triple M and writes two weekly national newspaper columns. He has advised AFL and NRL teams about money and consults to the Australian Government on financial education in schools. Scott is also a best-selling author. He has a few books out at the moment, The Barefoot Investor and The Barefoot Investor for Families, and the former approaching almost one million copies. Over, I think over a million, which sounds... Um Sounds, uh, even to me, uh, it's crazy. Um, so firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for, um, having me here. Um, no problem at all. one of, um, uh, my passions is, uh, or my main passion is financial education. Uh, and one of the things that I've been banging on about, uh, in my newspaper columns is that I think young people, uh, need financial education. Um, we go through, 2,300 odd days of um, school from from prep to year 12 and really not one of them is about financial education and as a result of that um, the uh, the studies suggest that the most financially illiterate people are kids that leave school 18 to 24 according to ASIC so for me one of the big things that I'm really passionate about is that um, I think it's great that young people are getting an apprenticeship but for my my view is that a tradie needs to have a financial apprenticeship so they can earn really good money like really good dough obviously um they can be in a better position than a lawyer that goes um to uni for 5 or 6 years um because they earn money straight out of the gates and then can quickly earn really good money but if they blow it all they're no better off so for me uh, I'm really passionate about talking to um, young tradies about getting a financial apprenticeship. But yes, to double, double back the book, um, I think it's done like 1.3 million copies or something. When I wrote it on my farm in, 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 in Romsey in country Victoria, honest to God, I thought it would sell about 20,000 copies because it's a finance book yeah. and people aren't supposed to read finance books. Like yeah. it's kind of something that they, you, you get given and you never read. Um, but for some reason it's, um, it sort of hit a um, hit a chord, yeah. uh, and for that, my publisher is incredibly grateful. You've inspired what's been labelled as uh, the biggest financial cult in Australia, and yes. its devotees, myself included, are oh, good, <laughs> most easily under, uh, identifiable by a wallet full of uh, ING debit cards yes. and <laughs> reciting. Um, some scripted responses to save you money on everything from insurance to deals with your bank. Um, when the idea for your book came about, did you have any idea about how how it was going to kick off and what was going to happen afterwards? No. So, um, you know, I, I um, wrote that book. The way I thought about it isn't people don't really read books, um, but I get at that time, I was getting hundreds of questions a week from people, all asking roughly the same things. So what I decided to do was sit down and write this book. Um, and I thought, you know, it would be a good thing if, if anyone uh, writes to me, I can say, just here's the book. And the way I wanted to write it was if I was sitting down with my best mate at the pub um, on a bar stool and I basically sketched out how I would manage my money, right? 
quite conservative. I don't like having a lot of debt. I hate paying bank fees. And uh, I think the finance industry has done very good at flogging us stuff. Um, just common sense stuff that your grandfather would tell you. But basically me sitting on a, on a bar stool, sketching it out for my mates. Um, so again, I thought 20,000 copies for it to be over a million, um, here in Australia, um, and the audio book as well. So if you're not a reader, so, you know, one of the things that I've been quite passionate about is I think we've done about 500,000 hours of, um, downloads on the audio book. Wow. Um, you know, I've been encouraging, um, young tradies, uh, while listening to Triple M, because I'm on Triple M, love Triple M. Um, you know, also having a listen to it again, just while you're on the tools. Um, the things that you can pick up can make you large amounts of money. And that's not because I'm a genius. Yeah. It's just common sense stuff that if you do it early enough, um, it's kind of like catching a wave. You do a little bit of paddling, you know, for the, for a couple of nights, getting it all sorted, and then you can ride the wave home. Well, exactly the reason why we decided to put uh, the podcast together was uh, what's better than uh, listening to uh, switch out R and B Fridays or, <laughs> yes, or whatever, something like that. whatever's on. And Monday morning to, money, yeah, yes. and, and listen to some uh, to some educational stuff that might make you a little bit of save you a few dollars between smoke and lunch. Yeah, well, that's the. I mean, the the whole thing is is that you know, yeah, you're working and stuff, but. Um, you know, nearly 10% of your money is being funneled away, um, you know, three, four hours a week of your, of your week into a super fund. Most people spend more time on their footy tips than their super, you know, and all I'm trying to do is I'm saying, you don't have to focus on this every day. You don't have to be a tightwad. You don't have to live to a strict budget because I've never done that. But what I'm saying is if you spend even, you know, a couple of days on this or evenings with a beer, sorting this stuff out by reading my book or reading any other book, really, um, you know, it can save you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you retire. And I don't know anyone that's getting paid one, two, three thousand dollars an hour because that's what this can do for you. You ask a question in your book, Who have a think about who taught you about money. Yeah. Who taught you? So uh, my old man uh, taught me about money. Um, he We grew up in a little town called Oyen uh, in uh, in. Uh, country Victoria. Um, dad quit school when he was 16. Um, he's always been a, a worker, as has uh, my mum. Um, but I remember working with my dad and when I was a, a young kid and he sort of sat me on his knee and uh, I'd been doing some work for him and he, he paid me in one share of BHP. Uh, wow. And he, he said, um, you know, basically you now, you're now a part owner in one of the biggest companies in the world and they share their profits with you. And as a kid from Oyen, population, you know, 1500 people or something it just blew my mind now that may have been a a very sage thing that my father did or maybe he just didn't have enough shrapnel in his pocket to actually pay me for the (laughs) thing either way that moment sort of changed my life and what i grew up with uh was seeing my parents um scrimp and save over the sort of the first 10 years of my life to save up enough money to buy just a a full bedroom brick veneer better in Bendigo. Mm -hmm. But what I watched is I watched my parents saving, um, you know, um, sacrificing uh, over a long time. Now, I may not have listened to them most of the time, but what I saw, it's sort of a little drip, 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 you know, it it has that uh, uh, effect on you that if you watch your parents doing smart things with money, um, it rubs off on you. 
And so, yeah, that was, I guess, one of the things that I find for a lot of young people now. The reason I wrote my next book, which is Barefoot for Families, is that um, I think there's a lot of kids that grow up and mum and dad don't have to sit down, sit down and have family dinner time with them and they don't want to burden them about money, so they never learn about it. Yeah. So the only time they learn about it is, you know, either through the school banking program at school, which is just the marketing con job to get kids signed up. Yeah. Um, and what I wanted to try and do is give everyone confidence. And that's what I want to do today. I, you know, I want to um, talk to young tradies and tradies in particular, anyone, uh, but particularly young tradies and say that you can build your confidence up um, and it's the best thing that you'll do. Financially, it is the best thing that you'll do. Like like you, my financial... Uh my dad was a, a self-employed electrician mm-hmm. and one of the my first experiences with money and earning money yeah. was through dad doing, can you go and pick up my pliers and bring it to me? You know, jobs, yeah. Give you a few, 20 cents or whatever it was. I'll always remember the time that my dad showed me his first pay slip. Yeah, I said, okay. why do you have that? He said, oh, it's just something I'm very proud of. It was the first time I ever got paid for doing something. Yeah, right. Didn't even spend it. Yeah. <laughs> Still got the money inside, like pounds or, or whatever it was. But it's sort of that, that idea gave me the respect, I guess, for doing some work and getting a financial reward. So I've, I've always been... You know how important that is, though? Like when I wrote um, Barefoot for Families, what I found is that there's a whole generation of kids that haven't realized that um, created the connection between I work hard and I get paid. And so, again, even for me, that idea of actually um, getting your kids to do some jobs around the house and paying them, it's not about, you know, um, the money. It's about rewarding effort. And the fact, you know, again, just your dad showing you his pay slip. Again, these are all teachable moments for kids. Um, What I do with, um, you know, some young tradies that I that I've helped in the past is look at that pay slip and explain that this is real money that's coming out of super, getting them to look at their super fund. What insurance do you have if you fall off a roof? Are you covered? Just those sorts of things of making sure that you understand how much tax is coming out. All those things. Just you just need to be aware of them. You don't have to you don't have to be a you know accounting major or anything, but just being aware of this stuff yeah. um, uh, means you get more. A very influential and world-renowned marketer, someone who I follow quite closely, Seth Godin, is quoted in the front of your book as saying that your story about the apple tree is uh, worth the cost of the book alone. Um, it's a story that really resonated for me. I have a, a young family yep. and looking to do whatever I can to um, do the best for my family. And thinking to myself that, oh, I need to get myself an apple tree. Uh, yeah. Without going into too much detail, you're able to sort of explain, yep. um, uh, give us a little bit of summary about the apple tree. So, so basically, this book was written um, uh, after uh, I was caught in a, a bushfire um, uh, on the farm, and uh, it took our house, took everything. Uh, so we lost everything uh, that day. Um, so. The second hardest day of my life was being caught in a bushfire. Um, I was uh, uh, in the CFA um, and uh, just as I was about to leave, so my family had all gone, I turned on the ABC radio and they said, it's too late to leave, Um, you've got to take shelter. That was the second worst day of my life. The worst day of my life was coming back the next day with a young uh, little baby and a wife and seeing everything gone. And so we rebuilt, and that was the sort of the genesis of the book, is that um, everyone's going to face their own financial fire at some stage, whether it be, you know, um, 
becoming an apprentice and not earning a lot of money, whether it be getting laid off from work because there's a downturn, whether it be um, getting a divorce. You know, everyone's going to face it. Having a ute full of brand new tools stolen. Knocked off. All those things, um, people are going to, you're going to face challenges. And I faced mine and I knew I was going to be okay because um, I had my money sorted. Um, and anyway, so uh, the whole thing, everything was burnt, everything's black. And uh, we're like, you know, where do you start when everything's just a mess, right? And everything stinks and it's it's just black. Everything was charred black. And so what we decided to do was to plant an apple tree. And it's like, it was maybe symbolic, but it was just that idea that, you know, where do you start? We just start with one thing. And so we, we planted the apple tree and the idea is um, we gave it some water, we, we nurtured it, and we knew that over the long term, that was going to grow. It won't grow next week. We weren't going to, uh, you know, pull it out and go, hang on, maybe it should be over the other side of the, the, the paddock. Mm. We kept it there. We kept watering it. Um, you know, and years on, it's now producing really nice apples. And in 30 years time, you know, my grandkids are going to be swinging on that apple tree and it will last for, Decades and decades. And I guess the analogy is um, that if if things are completely uh, messed up and you don't know where to start, you start, um, you know, you plant an apple tree, you start doing some savings and it will grow. Yeah. Um, just like compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, actually putting some money away and leaving it and not in- expecting it to grow amazing apples within the first week. Yeah. But over 20 years, it does something really amazing. So the stock market and your investments and your houses are just like that. If you give it enough time, it will produce bare, amazing fruit, but just don't expect it to happen anytime soon. That's a very long answer to a very short question. <laughs> but uh, got got to love that story. I really, uh, yeah. yeah, really resonates with me. Uh, one of my biggest takeouts from reading your book is um, your ability to communicate so simply. So. Yeah. Um, the world of finances is, is pretty foreign to the majority of the people um, out there. Yeah. And unless you've got a bit of an interest or some time to invest in doing a lot of reading and researching yeah. on the internet and whatever else, um, it might as well be in another language. Um, and I think the banks are quite happy with that. <laughs> I think the financial institutions, even though they would say that they're there for, for you and me, they make their money um, by charging fees and, you know, us not comparing and saying it's all too hard. And through all of that, somehow you're able to convey all these complex scenarios and uh, in a language that's really easy to understand. Yeah. Um, did you have to really think much about doing that or it's just sort of one of your natural talents, I guess you could say, is being able to convert this complex information into uh, something that's easy for a lot of people to understand? Uh, I think that... Um uh, writing for a newspaper for like 13 years or 14 years or however long it's been, um, I've never tried to write for um, finance professionals. I tried to write for people like my parents who, you know, didn't graduate from high school but are very smart people. Um, I just want to write for, you know, that's why I'm here today. I want to talk to... Um, apprentices, you know, I want to try and write, uh, speak in a way that is simple because I have a fundamental belief that if you're, if you don't set up your finances simply, you're not going to do it. If it's too hard, you're not going to do it. Works hard, um, 
family life is hard. You know, I've got three kids under five. You know, if, if it's, if it takes too long or if you have to stick to a strict budget, chances are you're not going to do it. So for me, what I've always tried to do, and I've got a lot of feedback from writing in the newspaper each week, is to write in a way that people understand. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I have this is this is um, is this um, mantra is that no one cares more about your money than you. Right? I care about my money a lot more than I care about yours, and that's why one of the things I encourage um, apprentices and anyone, all my readers, um, is uh, to be what I call dumb smart. So at some point in time, someone's going to offer you advice about money, and it could be me uh, by reading one of my books. It could be a financial advisor. It could be a mortgage broker or bank manager. What you want to do is ask a lot of dumb questions. The smartest person in the room is the person who's willing to look dumb, right? And you want to ask a lot of dumb questions. So why should I borrow that much money? And uh, what, what are the risks of that? And how do you get paid? You want to ask really dumb questions uh, uh, because... Ironically, that's how you become smart. So for me, again, I just want to um, try and keep it simple for people. I believe that you should keep it simple, but you should also understand that, you know, um, no one cares more about your money than you do. I've always been a believer in the only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. Yeah, but a lot of people think, you know, uh, especially if finance isn't your forte, you know, they maybe think, oh, you know, maybe that, that guy knows more about it than me. I, I don't want to ask. But at the end right. of the day, you're the one that has to repay the loan. Um, or, you know, if you're sitting there uh, leasing a, a new ute, you're the one that has borrowed for something that's falling rapidly in value. And you're the one that has to pay for that over the long term. So again, just trying to get people to say, you're the one in charge and you need to understand this and you should be you should be feeling okay to ask lots of dumb questions and if you don't understand it don't do it we're lucky enough to live in one of the richest countries in the world um stats from the australian bureau of statistics say that uh if you earn the average australian wage of around eighty thousand dollars uh it would put you in the top 0.28 percent of the richest people in the world yes by income yes Yet there are so many Aussies out there living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. What are we doing wrong? So I, I think the first one is that um, I love that stat because globally um, we are one of the richest people on the planet. In fact, people that are you know on Centrelink are still doing extremely well on a global comparison. The problem is we don't compare ourselves to people in Africa. We compare ourselves to our neighbours and our mates. And our neighbours and our mates could be um, financially screwed but they look good because they're driving a brand new Hilux uh, and they've just got a jet ski. So they may seem wealthy, uh, but if you actually look through, and I do, that's what I do. People send me emails and they, and they confess stuff to me. So that guy that's got the, uh, the Hilux, it, it may be, he may owe, uh, be underwater on it. You know, upside down, he might may, may actually owe more money on it than it's worth. In many cases, that's true. The jet ski um, could have been something that um, he's borrowed for as well. So he may be all show and no dough. So looks can be, um, uh, uh, they can deceive you. And so one of the best books that I have read is a, is a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Okay. And what it found was... Um, it started out with these researchers wanting to find the lifestyles of the rich and famous. So they went to rich areas like Turak and, uh, you know, the equivalent of Turak, like they're really wealthy suburbs. And they started interviewing these people that looked wealthy, drive really nice cars and had, you know, fancy jobs. And what they found was that these people weren't actually that wealthy. 
And so they went to the suburbs and they found these millionaire next doors. So they often uh, worked as, um, you know, in their own small business. They were tradies, um, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, they drove, you know, a, a secondhand uh, Corolla or, or a secondhand ute. Um, they owned their own home. They invested in shares. They didn't take a lot of risks and they were the real millionaires. Okay. So I guess um, what I'm saying is that I think that um, – you need to be careful about comparing yourself to other people because most people are broke. Yeah. Uh, Australia is one of the wealthiest countries on earth, but we also have one of the highest rates of household debt in the world uh, at a time when interest rates are at record lows. Yeah. So for me, um, I wouldn't be comparing myself to anyone. Um, the only thing that I would be you know, comparing myself is against myself and making sure that I've got savings. So no matter what happens to me, me and my family are going to be okay. One of the things that will keep you and your family okay into the future is uh, the subject of super. Yeah. So the subject of super gets lost on a lot of us with um, a lot of people, I'm going to assume, will stay with the fund that they got from their first job. Yeah. Um, some people will move from job to job and not bother to follow up if the super has fallen them or yeah. whatever else. Why should we... Uh, be more proactive and is there anything that traders can do differently to prepare themselves for life after work? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. So um, superannuation um, is one of the biggest tax lurks uh, in Australia, right? You know, if you really want to cut your tax and everybody here in Australia, it's like a national pastime, you know, <laughs> get, getting ripping off the ATO. Well, this is a way... It's a, it's a legal tax dodge. It's probably the last legal tax dodge that you can do is super, is the first point. Um, but it's also been incredible. Lots of um, mansions and jets and Ferraris have been bought from our super fund fees. Yep. Um, you know, it's about $30 billion a year in fees that are whipped out of our super accounts and given to finance industry people. And most of them are losers. They, they, they don't outperform a basic benchmark. They don't do a good job. But because no one gives a crap, no one really holds them to account. Yep. So uh, for a lot of tradies, your first job will, your first super will be with CBUS, which is the uh, construction uh, industries super fund. Yep. Um, not a recommendation, but I actually think they're pretty good. They're an industry fund, so they're a not-for-profit fund. Um, uh, what I think is uh, good with uh, CBUS is they tend to have good insurance because you guys need good insurance. Yep. So there's um, some laws as we sit here and speak now that are going to scrap insurance for young people. I believe that uh, because of the work of CBUS, they've said actually young people in trades that are on roofs, that are in dangerous occupations, yeah, sure. need that, yep. which I think is a good thing. Um, so if you're with CBUS, um, uh, you know, that's going to be your default fund. I think it's a pretty good fund. Without having a recommendation, I think it's a pretty good fund. Yeah, they're a partner of, of uh, Master Plumbers as well. So. They are a partner, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I would obviously always uh, look at the fees because I don't like paying fees. Really, the, the idea is the less fees you pay, the more you make. Um, but what I would be looking, if I'm a young apprentice, I wouldn't be going into their default fund. Um, I would be maybe looking at it, talking to CBUS potentially and saying, I got, you know, the average apprentice has got, what, 
40, 50 years of work. They've got a long time. At this point in time? <laughs> At this point in time, and my view would be that, you know, if there's one thing that you could do that could potentially uh, benefit you to the tune of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, one little tick would be to move from the default fund that, you, that everyone gets put into. So a default fund is basically... Um, a young apprentice will be in that default fund if you don't make a choice. Yep. Um, up to a 55-year-old uh, uh, worker will be in that as well. Um, so effectively what they do is they invest that money so that, you know, it's there's not too much risk in it because, you know, a 55-year-old who's thinking about retirement doesn't want to have all his money in the share market, so they don't take as much risks. But my view would be that a young uh, tradie who's, you know, a teenager or in his early 20s or her early 20s can afford to take more risk. So for me, I would be contacting CBUS if I'm a young person in my 20s and saying, I'd like to go to the high growth option within CBUS. Talk to them, obviously, that's a disclaimer. Um, but I would be looking at, at doing that uh, and then forgetting about your super for the next, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and, and not even worrying about it because stock markets will crash. But just like the uh, apple tree, if you forget about it in 40 years time, that uh, it's going to be a, it's going to grow into something pretty amazing. Yep. So again, you got the apple tree analogy coming into yes. play and you've also got the, uh, you know, uh, uh, a few minutes of research can pay dividends in the future. So yeah, look, it's, it's so can. And you know, the, the truth is that, um, it, it is probably financially, um, if you, even if it takes you an hour to do that, um, you know, that could be, it could definitely be a $10,000 hour. It could even be a $100,000 hour, you know, just actually making that one choice. And what I love about finance, right, is not doing spreadsheets and budgets and all that stuff that require every day you've got to look at the figures and stress about them. But if you can do one thing, just one thing that takes you, you know, an hour, may even take you five minutes, who knows? Yeah. And then you, and then you can just let that go for 30 or 40 years. I mean, that to me is a real payoff. Yep. Even better, get a, a few of the uh, people you work with on site to do their research overnight, compare notes the next day. Correct. I mean, and again, just these things, it, you know what it does if you actually start to either read my book or read um, any other book, right? In, in finance book. Um, if you start to build up your confidence, it's just another thing that it makes you feel good about yourself. You're like, you know what? I'm making, I'm working hard, but I'm making sure my money works for me. And what I find is with people who've read my book, they start to feel uh, confident. And yeah. that in and of itself is its own reward. Yep, definitely. A few months back, you're on the project um, talking about uh, how often do you do the project? Is it once? Well, I actually um, I did the project. I've been on it since day one. Okay. And the first producer they gave me um, was um, became my wife. So wow. the project I have a great deal of <laughs> gratitude for. Uh, because they, it gave me my life. Uh, but yeah, so I'm on the project quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so you're on the project uh, a little while ago, talking about the new book, yes. uh, Barefoot Investor for Families. Yes. And Lisa Wilkinson hit the nail on the head, I think, when she said that teaching kids about money is hard because money is becoming largely invisible. Um, with online tr uh, transactions and all that sort of stuff, sure. doing shopping online, sure. and no one really deals with cash as much as what they used to. So that's sort of becoming the norm. 
Um, this is more evident with tradies because you're dealing with larger um, larger amounts. Yeah. So invoicing and all that sort of stuff, pe- people rarely see cash these days. Mm. So uh, depending on the type of work you do, you, you re- rarely see any cash at all. So even with your purchasing of your, your tools and your yeah. everything. Um, can you, in saying that, can you recommend anything to help uh, tradies manage their finances if you're not physically seeing any money? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point in that, um, you know, a hundred years ago, the people at casinos had it all worked out where they would take your money and give you these plastic chips because, you know, you spend more. Yeah. And you don't notice that you're spending the rent if you if they're little plastic chips. It's kind of the same yeah. with tap and go. And I could be honest. I rarely even hold a, a wallet anymore. You know, I, I've got this thing um, synced up on onto my uh, my phone, and I can pay with PayWave. Yeah. Um, so I'm totally, it, I've embraced it as well. But it does make it harder if you don't see the the, the dollars. Um, one of the things that I have suggested um, again in my book, um, you can you know borrow it from a library. You don't have to buy it. But just that idea of setting up different buckets of money. Uh, I've said a few times here that I actually don't, I can't stick to a budget. I've never been able to do it. It's a little bit like being on a diet forever. Um, And it's just not practical for me. And I like spending money on things that I like. And there's always things that come up out of the Totally, totally. So, and and especially, uh, you know, if you're in business. Um, So for me, um, what I've tried to do, the way I've looked at that, is to set my money up in different buckets to think of it. Again, really simple. But, you know, if you've got a partner, um, uh, as I do, um, you know, two people have to try and work out how to manage their money and it can be really difficult. So what I did was narrowed my spending down to basically three buckets. Um, and that was the way, so any dollar that comes in, I have an idea of where I put my money. Now, I'm a small business owner as well. There's a lot of tradies who are going to be listening that are small business owners. Yep. One of the things that I do um, that I'm kind of maybe semi-famous for is to have a mojo bucket um, so that... Um, if anything bad happens, I've got the money there. Yeah. In my small business, I have a business mojo. So in case anything bad happens, I've got that sitting there as mm-hmm. well. Um, but also for my uh, tax obligations, GST, um, I always make sure that every dollar that comes in, I siphon it off to an account, so I've always got the money there. But as far as a, um, as far as a, uh, an apprentice, what I would suggest is um, having it all thrown into the one account um, is a recipe for disaster because what you will do, you get paid, it all goes into the one account, you keep tapping until the point that it stops beeping. Uh, yep. And that's most people do that. You know, they've yep. got one bucket and it's got a leaky. Very uh, embarrassing to be out at the pub. It's your shout and you tap your card and it says uh, transaction decline. It's yes. very, very, I've been there before. <laughs> and then, you know, you got a leaky bucket. So for me, what you want to do is you want to have sit down. Um, I've got this thing called a, a barefoot date night. Uh, we yep. go to the pub and you basically, on the back of a serviette, you just write out um, how you're going to manage your money with different buckets. Um, so there's, a, you know, I've taken it to, to the nth degree of having a splurge card, so money that you can guilt-free spend at the pub. Um, and and so you don't feel guilty. And after a while, and I've got over a, a million people that will tell you this, yep. that your brain sort of locks into the gear, right? It's a little bit like if you're, a, if you're a, 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 an apprentice, the first year is bloody hard. Right. Second year, a little bit better, getting paid a bit more. Third year and then you, fourth year and then you, you, you get your ticket. 
what we what I often find is people just spend they spend more than they earn, and even as they get pay rises, they spend more. Yeah. So if it's that idea of saying your your brain basically works, will spend as much as you've got in that account. Just make sure it's a little bit less. But I go into it yeah, more in my book. Uh, and I'm happy to come back and do a, a subsequent podcast um, on, you know, managing your money without having a budget if you want. Fantastic. Maybe even if we get a few of the listeners sending in their questions Absolutely. or things they want to know. More than happy. We'll, uh, we'll structure something to yeah. work ahead with. Yeah. Um, you say that the goal of the Barefoot Investor can be summed up in one word, being control. Um, yet I see so many apprentices, friends and family um, uh, enter a trade and they don't understand um, that idea. Uh, so you walk into a, a site car park, maybe a little bit of a generalisation, but you walk into a car park of a job site and you, it's pretty easy to t- see the uh, cars that belong to the apprentices, the flash new ones, where for the first time they've, um, you know, they've actually seen money and so they've gone out and got themselves uh, the best of whatever. Um, as tempting as it is to reward yourself for your first full-time job, um, do you have any advice for those out there who are coming into a steady income for the first time and just sort of going from zero to a hundred? Yeah, I, I think there's a temptation, um, especially with people around you, if you're comparing yourself to them and they go out and they uh, buy a brand new Hilux or something because they've got some money uh, or they've got the income and they get talked into it by a salesperson. Um Maybe it's just the the way I'm wired, but I've I've always driven a secondhand car. I've got secondhand cars, and um, I've seen that as a badge of pride. You know that um, you know I don't never wanted to own a brand new anything. Um, and I guess for the the tradie, what I would suggest is um, again sitting down with my book. I don't want to be seen as just promoting my book, but, you know, there are plenty of books out there, yep. you know. Um, but just That's actually, the one you know the best. That's the one I know <laughs> the best. But basically just sitting down and saying, um, if I'm smart about this, I can make sure that um, that I can have uh, a whole lot out of Bali. Um, you know, I could get into my own house and, and not have to live with my parents or rent. Um, I can set up some goals that are really going to make me happy. Yeah. And I can drive a decent car, but I just may not be a brand new one that falls in value um, and that I have to pay interest on. You know, so again, if you make smart decisions, um, you know, in your 20s, in your, well, even if you're in your te- late teens, but your, your 20s, it just sets you up so much. But again, I'm not being, I'm not here to say, um, don't have any fun, um, work your ass off, never enjoy yourself basically the opposite i'm saying you can go out and spend 50 grand on a ranger or a hilux maybe more and um that's fine but on the opposite you're giving something up and that is number one um you can have some savings so you don't have to worry about money so when you're at the pub you can not even worry about um you know the decline yeah. funds Might um, you go can, to steak instead yeah you can <laughs> you can go to bali you can you know you can have that um you know you can be saving up for your first home you can be financially set which is going to put you in a totally different league in your 30s and 40s you are just going to this is the thing that i guess older tradies say to me is you know in your 20s in your early 20s you may have a flash car you may look the goods but there's something that happens in your 40s and 50s to those guys that have been smart with their money in their 20s they just power along and you just see them almost lift off and they've got you know they own their own home they own, own another couple of investment properties they're doing really well and yeah. the thing that i find is that there's a lot of people who have worked 
really hard as in their trades um, that get to the age of 60 and they've got nothing to show for it. And at that stage, it's too hard to make back. So if you can get yourself sorted now and enjoy yourself, enjoy your money, you know, go traveling, do whatever you want to do, but just make sure that there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs to buying flash cars and spending all your money. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, now, we've seen the Barefoot Investor for individuals. We've seen uh, the new release of the Barefoot Investor for families. Yes. When are we going to see Barefoot Investor for tradies? Look, I mean, I'd like to actually, um, I, it's a, I'm really passionate about it. So I've worked with, um, I've worked with, uh, some tradies before. I've also worked with hospitality workers, helping them. Um, I would like to work more with the trades to try and come up with, you know, what I said before, there was 2,300 days or something kids go to school and there's not one day that's spent on financial education. One of my things is that through trade school, I think that maybe half a day or a day should be spent on how to manage your money. Um, so that's something that I'm passionate about. Let's hope um, people who are who have the power to make these decisions can roll out something so that at least um, tradies are actually having a day where they learn how to set up their buckets, make sure they're not getting ripped off in super and bank fees. Uh, and so that they can get themselves a plan because, you know, you all work off a plan anyway. Why not have a financial plan? For sure. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the uh, podcast today. Uh, just in closing, for anyone out there listening, just get your questions in and we'll try and get Scott back uh, at a later date to Absolutely. answer any queries you might have about managing your finances. Look, if you're a tradie uh, and you've got a question for me, um, hit us up on the website uh, either through Master Plumbers or CBUS uh, and I'll do my best to try and um, give you a response. I can't answer them all obviously but again I'm really passionate about tradies and if uh, if uh, especially apprentices and giving you that financial apprenticeship so if I can I'll, I'll do my best to help and answer out. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today and um, all the best. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't already, go out and uh, get... Uh, or the, the library. Go to the library or go to the shops, one of the two. Come and borrow my copy. More yeah, than happy to own it out. <laughs> You've been listening to Master Plumbers Radio. Check out the Master Plumbers website at plumber.com.au or hit us up on email at podcast at plumber.com.au. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram.